Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. And number 32 of the 50 most relevant, almost halfway, we're talking about the Fremantle captain, Nat Fife joining me to chat about one of the great fantasy players of the past decade. I've got Kane back. Hello, buddy. How you doing? Good. Thank you, MJ. I think a few people will be surprised that Nat Fife has made himself to this point in the list. I think there's a few people who thought he might not make the list. I think yep. there's a few people who thought maybe he was a few days away from appearing on it, but there's actually a fair bit to sift through with Nat Fife. The way he finished the 2020 season is given us hope that maybe there is another position that could be at some point. And we know that he still flashed his massive upside in scoring yeah. when he had a certain role. So, yeah, 2021 is going to be really interesting for the Freo skipper. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how his year plays out. Again, remember the 50 most relevant, it's not just based on one specific format of scoring of the game. We look at all three of the elements of AFL Fantasy, Dream Team, and Super Coach. We look over a totality of those things. If it was arguably, I'll be honest right now, this is just a Dream Team, 50 most relevant. Fife, you don't make it. Super Coach, you could probably actually build a case he's too low if you're focused purely on Super Coach. Because as we break through this year and what he's done historically, He's in rarefied air. So let's break into some of those um, numbers from last year and the previous few years. Just the 29 years old. It feels like he's older than that. Um, but 29 years old. And last year, the midfielder gave us his best AFL fantasy score of the season against the Brisbane Lions. It was a 98. Don't forget, in those formats, uh, there was no extension or adjustment to scoring based on a shortened quarter. So really, that 98, that's closer to a 120 if you want to just use basic math to adjust that scoring. Um, so that's right up with what he normally would do in full quarters. A 166 was his best super coach score last year. That came against Port Adelaide. In terms of his career high numbers in super coach, a 171 is a career high of what he's delivered for us. While in AFL fantasy, it's a famous game at Adelaide Oval where he and Paddy Dangerfield went head to head on a wet Saturday night. He ended up with his best ever score in that format was a 150. Last year, in terms of his seasonal averages, it was a 113 in Supercoach, a dip of around about six points per game, while in AFL Fantasy, 75.3 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. That's been adjusted by the gang at AFL Fantasy up to a 94.1. That is using the math of timesing it by 1.25, trying to get as close to the pin of understanding what their 2020 scores were in what they might have been, should they have been full-length quarters. If we look at what his price point is, it's as cheap as he's actually been for a little while in Supercoach. Just over 600000 just under 700000 in Dream Team, and a 720000 in AFL Fantasy. You said it and alluded to it, Kane, right off the top of the episode. If someone said, rank and rate Nat Fife's fantasy footy season last year, without looking at numbers, without looking at stats, you go, felt like he was poor last year. And actually, when you look into the numbers of what he actually did, it wasn't a poor year at all. No, not at all, MJ. Again, you've got two games, really, that drag his score down. Firstly, yeah. he's got the injury against the Suns in round four, caused him to miss round five. He was rushed back. He played in round six against the Saints for a half. It looked genius. He was dominating out of the middle. 
And then there was a few concerns raised, especially people who were on him. Um, why is he not leaving the goal square <laughs> in the second half? Little did we know he'd re-injured um, the hamstring and he ended up missing the next two weeks. Yeah. So really there was a stretch where Fife was, you know, extremely limited by his standards. And as a result, we saw a lot of the other midfielders really starve but he started the season averaging 111 DT, 140 Supercoach over the first three rounds. And yeah. when he returned in round nine, he played the rest of the season. And again, not extraordinary numbers, but he went at 95 DT from then on and 112 Supercoach. So you couple that in with what he started at. It, it really is close to his you know, low 100 in DT yep. and nearly pushing 120 again in Supercoach, which it seems like excluding his injury games, which we know we can't do in the salary cap format. It is just what you have to put up with yeah. if you're owning five. Yeah, you never played 22 games. You wouldn't be betting, if you're a betting person, you wouldn't be betting that this year he would play all the games. It nope. just, history has shown that it's not going to happen. But hey, the reward with Fife is when he's on the field, you can cash in on some absolutely monstrous stretches of scoring that put a lot of pressure on the other coaches to bring him in. And that's what makes him so frustrating to some people, MJ, is because after round three, this year in Supercoach, he's averaging 140. Coaches yeah. are sitting there going, I need to get on this now. I need to get on this guy before he takes it all. Who are you going, do I do I chase Neil or do I chase five? And then that's Which when do injury I get? struck. Yeah. It, 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 it makes exactly. it so Exactly. So when you've got someone that can take it away, and that's the type of guy that, yeah, when you're starting, when you're starting a team, and you, we talk about pods all the time, and that always gets brought up. I want a pod, I want a pod. The people that always catch my attention are guys that can take the competition away from other players. No offense to an Andrew Gaff, but he's the type of guy that pretty much is just going to plug away the constant type of guy. If you want to get off to a flyer, you need someone with some volatility. And while Fife's floor is far from super low, it's his ceiling that when he gets humming, he can go 150 for a month and he can set you up to be ahead of the pack. And as I said, cause a lot of headaches for other coaches because they know he can sustain it. What he can do, both for super coach, probably more than the other formats, but certainly more super coach. But even in AFL fantasy, the guy just keeps finding a way to when he gets on the field, he scores. We break into these numbers last year in super coach, that 113 average, it consisted of nine tons. The lowest of those hundreds was 110. So it's not a dinky 102, 103 where he sneaks over the line. The lowest last year was a 110. Five of them are over 130. That's captaincy territory, including that 166 that we alluded to. And then just one sub score of 80. And that was in the game that he pinged his hammy, let alone the other game where he's resting, you know, basically off the one leg inside forward 50 and inside the forward square. So even in that format, before we look at AFL fantasy and Supercoach, he's just pumping big tons for us. And let's remember MJ, when you say nine tons, I think our brain automatically jumps to a 22 game season. Yeah. It was a 17 game season last year, 14 of which five played. You just ruled out that two of them were injury affected. Yep. So now we're, he's batting at 75% conversion. Nine of his 12 full games, he converted to a ton. Like it's that's the type of territory we're talking about in Supercoach. And I know you can't take away the injured games. It is sure. a part of his fantasy um, scoring history. But it shows that when he is healthy, and some of these injuries, by the way, in the past have been concussions. Like it's not all just body, body, body. Yeah, it's not um, one specific thing, yeah. 
So just showing that 75% MJ, there's a ton. With the ceiling you mentioned, oh, it's, it's genuine captaincy territory. It is. Well, you think about what he did in 2019 in Supercoach. Again, we're not even talking about AFL Fantasy and Dream Team yet. But that year in 2019, he ranked eighth that season in Supercoach for total points, despite missing two games, by the way, through that year. Um, and he's only one of three that averaged 120 through the midfield that year. 85% of games he tunned up in 2019 in Supercoach. And of those 17 tons, 12 were over 120 and an insane six over 140 across the year. He actually only had three games where he didn't reach triple figures. That, that's just an incredible past two years, let alone what he's done before that. If we want to then jump into what he did in AFL fantasy just in the past year or two, he averaged 75 this year. 94 was his top, uh, was his um, adjusted average score. Six scores of 80 plus again. We, we count them if you're basing how he was going. They're, they're basically 80 was the 100 last year for us right across there. Only a one sub 50 score and that was again that injury affected game against Gold Coast where he didn't get in through there. And AFL Fantasy and Dream Team in his 2019 season, he ranked 15th for all midfielders, ending the year with the average of 105, 14 tons that year, seven of them over 120. So there goes that myth that he doesn't have a fantasy ceiling about him in that game. And along with those hundreds that he delivered, he didn't actually let coaches down too much. He averaged what? Once, I think, maybe twice, he dipped his scores below 75. Um, and in a 14-game stretch between round 6 to 21, he averaged 109 and had only three games that he didn't post a ton. Yeah, I know it's not a full season, but we see a guy that when he's fit, now that's one of the big concerns, when he's fit and on the field, he's a top eight supercoach midfielder. And in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, probably not quite there, but what might be exciting coaches in AFL fantasy and maybe in the draft format of ultimate footy is last year, the kids started to develop from Fremantle, the Cheras, the Brayshaws, and certainly the rising star in Sarong started to take greater midfield responsibility. And it meant Fife was able to play more as a forward target, still played mid, but more of a forward target. There were some that even thought that he might pick up forward eligibility for us across the formats this year. Maybe another two or three games might've been enough data for the guys at champion data to do it. But I think in AFL fantasy, while you never want to pick him without the position, I think that's a bit risky. You could very much build a case. Should he pick up forward eligibility in that format? He's a, in the contention for now a top six forward. Yeah. Well, I think to give it simple, MJ, DT for me, He's out of the question. Agree. The injury concerns, the ceiling across his career seems to be about 105. Again, he's had seasons where he was 110, but there's always that injury game that, that brings it back down. Yeah. So DT, he's not a player that I'm thinking about. No. AF in, in draft, like you said, with the ability to pick up forward status. And again, we're talking about 35% is usually what you need to get that status. So it's not, a huge amount. It's not like we're talking about five been stationed there the whole game. Mm. And we got a good glimpse of it from, from round nine onwards. He really adopted that role. And that's where we saw him average 95 points in DT and 112 in Supercoach. So it's not like it was a role where it really fell away. Like, you know, maybe his teammate Michael Walters, when he got moved out of mm. that midfield and played forward, there was a big drop. Like you said, five still playing enough midfield that the scores are going to be good. 
So if he goes 95 playing in the role, if he continues the way he finished, you know, he's thereabouts in that top 10 forward mix. Yeah. And MJ, if he got forward early and there was an injury to one of those key players like a Brayshaw, Chera, Sarong, yeah. maybe even a Mundy or a Tucker, and he has to play more midfield time, you could get a forward that goes at 105 in AF in the final six, seven, eight, you know, post-buy games. Yeah. And now you're talking about a guy that's right in contention with the side bottoms, with the Dunkleys, with the danger field. So there's a path if things wait. But I, you know, at worst case, 90 mid, maybe if he got a bad injury. Yeah. But also there's an upside for him to be a 105 forward. And really challenging. So that's where his relevance is key. And that's what makes actually drafting him really, really fascinating because how much weight do you put on could he get this Ford status, which yeah. would move him? If he was a Ford now, MJ, you know, he is in that top three rounds for me quite comfortably. Yeah. But it's, how do you weigh that up? Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. Look, for me, I would never draft someone ahead of a, where I'd rank them based off a projected or a hoped positional thing. If you've played fantasy footy for a long time, you might remember Brent Stanton was rumored to play uh, off the halfback from Essen in that midfielder. And people jumped maybe two, three, four rounds early on him because they went, well, I'm going to get him as a defender. I'm like, well, no, you're not. All it takes, like you said, is an injury to maybe change a strategy and a structure of a coach. And all of a sudden they revert back to it. So I, I wouldn't draft him early because of a hoped or a forecast role that would pick him up through there if you're a little bit 50 50 on a player and you're like well i'm in the afl fantasy i'm like well it's either dylan shield or it's a nat fife well you, then okay those are the kind of things that start to maybe become the splitters um along there but outside of that i wouldn't reach for him on that but even in super coach even if he does end up with this split role let's let's run that gauntlet of thought yeah he might not get as much inside contested ball but where is he going to start to be able to get some more impacts? Contested marks will go up because no midfielder that might be tagging him can match him in that forward line. There's a handful of defenders that I feel confident that could match him both in the air and on the ground in the defensive line. And a couple of them are at Richmond and a couple of them at West Coast. And outside of that, there's not much else that might be able to go there with him. So there's score involvements. There's those opportunities to kick goals, those contested marks. So even if he loses some of those contested elements in the center stoppage, because I think he ranked inside the top 10 for stoppages across the league in terms of per game averages. I'm not too worried even if he does go more forward because I feel like there's an avenue here because if you think about what Fremantle are doing, they were really impressive last year and they did it pretty much without a key defender. All their key tools went down. Luke Ryan, who is one of the best intercept defenders in the league, had to play much more accountable. Chera's only going to get better. Brayshaw's only going to get better. You'd think Sarong should too, but let's not put the pressure on a, on a second-year kid. All of a sudden, even if Fife doesn't have to play as much midfield time, that's where there's a growth avenue. Conversely, if the game's on the line, you're not trusting these kids to get it done. While you're trying to develop them, you want to win a game, three minutes on the clock, you're throwing the two-time Brownlow medalist at the feet of Lob, at the feet of Darcy, to go, boys, I'm going to win us the game. 
MJ, let's think about this again using these numbers that we brought up multiple times because it's important because we saw the role. 95 DT, 112 super coach from round nine onwards. When he came back after his injury layoffs, he only averaged 79.7% round in those remaining games. Yeah. When he started the season, he was averaging 93% time on ground. And what was his numbers in those games? 111 Dream Team, 140 Super Coach. Yeah. So clearly with the condensed fixture, there was some management. Again, look at the last three games, MJ. He played, if you actually go for the last five weeks of the season, last year, Fife played less and less and less time on ground. 83, 81, 79, 72, 71. Yeah. And yet in that stretch, again, what are the average? 112 Super Coach and even higher DT at about 90. Um, six. Yeah. So he was doing that round. You'd have to expect 93 the first three weeks when healthy, all the way down to 79 off an injury. Yeah. This guy gets through a preseason. Of course, it's going to be back up to 85, 90. And as you said, if there's a more of a forward role, that's just more time on ground for him. Yeah. And those younger guys, they don't they don't need that big minutes. They want the rest. They want the high intensity. Yeah. So it just shows. Fife is a scorer. If you're giving him more time on the ground, of course he's going to score more. So for me, I think the 112 is about the baseline in Supercoach. Yeah, Again, who knows what injuries he'll get that will draw it around, but 120 is that upside, so he's always relevant there. I think in AF, it's it's about 100 to 105. Yeah. Um, again, the dream scenario is pick up that forward status by round six, maybe an injury to the midfield, and he becomes that 105 guy for the remainder of the yeah. season. That's how I see it shaping up. Yeah, that's the dream. And I think what makes it hard is because of those injury concerns over a numerous years, while he's only missed five games over the past two years, we're not seeing him not have a history of that. Now, granted, Brad Crouch, this time last year, we were talking about a guy that had a horrible injury history and then delivered his 2019 season without missing a game. Taylor Adams did it before that, Devin Smith. So, you know, history is a guide, not a rule um, that helps us through there. But you need to really head into the year with, if you want Fife in Supercoach, it's probably a starting squad. And even though he's going to have periods where he flies, maximize the chances of scoring on the field and lock him in. What makes it hard is people are seeing value. Like a player we talked about the other day in a Patrick Cripps, who's got a comparable injury history, maybe. maybe probably not, actually. Cripps is a little bit better. But a comparable scorer at a cheaper price? Oh, okay, maybe. Do I back Tom Mitchell to get back to his best? Do I, do I prefer a Josh Kelly, um, who's got the same sort of injury history? Do I back him in a little bit more? Do I, do I love the dependency of a Clayton Oliver or the run-home gun of Matt Crouch from last year? Do I take the value of a Sloan or a Heppel or a Haightley? That's where it starts to become hard for coaches is how do I fit him into my side, even though I want him? And that will become the challenge for coaches, especially in super coach. Yeah. I think the other thing, MJ, from a fixture point of view, if we look at two of the games where he actually got heavy attention, it's actually the first two games he's got for this season. Again, Melbourne did an unconventional way using Melchum on him. Yeah. He kept him to, you know, an 83 super coach, about a 90 in detail. And then one is DeBoer, got him yeah. in round. Potentially, you know, if there's a player that you really like the fixture for the first two weeks and maybe be aggressive on, um, 
you know, maybe you take a chance on them and then pivot across the five to be. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you do a quick Again, flip. Today, like it, there is heat or hot mode and break through these tags. Yeah. But it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't seem appetizing though looking at DeBoer early in the season, does it? You'd love no. to always get past that. Um, yeah. and really jump on. And again, you know, GWS may structure up that midfield unit a little differently and not go there. We don't know, but yeah, Fife could be the guy that maybe if we just go, I'm not not picking him because of the injury history. It's actually the fixture is the reason I'm not picking him. Therefore, I'm happy to trade him into my side in round five or round four, not because of injury concerns, but rather fixture concerns. I'd advocate for that. I'm, I'm down for that. If that's your reason, that's your reason. Back it in. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I want to find a way to get him into my super coach side. And every time I find a way to get him in, then I look at that, which I've missed. And, and it becomes that tear of the heart of, I want to find a way to get him in, but I don't know if I can. Um, and, and so I think that's going to be the dilemma of coaches across all formats, but definitely in super coach, it'll be the, I want to find a way to start him because he's as good a scorer as anybody. Do you find a way to structure it? That's going to be the challenging thing for coaches. Let's look at what we do in drafts. You've already alluded to that format yeah. a, a little bit, Kane, about what we should do through there. I still think in Supercoach, he's a genuine M1, but I couldn't with confidence pick him in the first round um, in AFL fantasy. And so second round, I, I'm pretty happy to go there. And he becomes either you double down and you make him your M2, you lock in the Neils, the, the Mitchells, the McRae, the whoever you're bullish on as the M1 in that first round, or you go elsewhere. You snag your Dangerfield, your Rucks, your Lloyd, your Whitfield. And so I think he still goes inside the first two rounds in Supercoach. AFL Fantasy, I think he'll slide back a, a little bit more. Um, I think he could be somebody's M2, depending on how they draft but you'd really feel confident if he's your M3. That's when you feel like you've probably landed it. What are you thinking about where he goes in the draft formats? Yeah, I think the back end of round two in Supercoach is really comfortable. And Jay, again, there's, especially Morn and Grundy, there's such dominant forces in that format. Again, there's some really good forwards and backs this year. And um, I think there's some guys that just have better um, injury records that you just would slide above five. So I think the back end of two... The turn to three would probably be your dream scenario. Oof. In, in a DT draft, it does get really tricky, especially if you do have positional ads, because mm. I agree, he's going to tie with a lot of guys and you're going to give him the bump because there is a chance of forward status. Yeah. Um, it's probably, it's probably around, you know, the sixth round for me there. Yeah. Um, because I think you're going to probably lean to the tiebreaker. And you can always take that extra mid as well in, in the draft strategy. And that's something that I always like to do is having a good, you know, M8, M9 that you can roll through. So if you get the luxury of moving Fife out and bringing them onto the field, um, maybe that's something you can consider in your draft. And also by doing that in draft, you've got a really good replacement if Fife does miss games. Yeah. So it's actually something that you can actually support him a lot better in a draft by who, who you draft around him. Again, yeah. whether it's durability of your players or actually um, just the depth. Because it's not, as we know in draft, it's not about trades. There's no premium on that. And even in some of the draft formats, if Fife gets injured early, you can take the emergency score. So yeah. he's actually a guy that, because it's not copious amounts of games, he usually misses. It's usually one or two here and there. Yeah. Um, 
you can actually really support him in your draft strategy. So that's why I wouldn't be letting him get past the sixth. No, I agree. Just because there's a nice path. That if he was a 105 forward MJ, like he's very comfortably in the top three rounds in a DT format. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so well, he comes into that side bottom dunkly dangerfield territory, doesn't he? So, look, it's going to be fascinating to see what role he does hold in twenty twenty one. Whether he picks up that DPP, does he not? Can he finally deliver the golden unicorn and play twenty two games for us um, in twenty twenty one? He's a fascinating player. He is very relevant when he's on the field. And how much of Nat Fife are we going to see in 2021? Let's be honest. Fremantle and the AFL is better when Fife is playing. And so let's hope for his sake and for our sake, we see as much of Nat Fife as we possibly can this year. Hey, Kane, appreciate your thoughts today on the Fremantle skipper. No worries, Joe. If you want to go and check out more on him right now, it is available, the article, at coachespanel.tv. All the other players revealed thus far in the 50 most relevant. You can check them out. While you're there, it's got all the links to join our Patreon supporter group where you get these podcasts 24 hours early, team reveals and extra exclusive content, some hidden groups to get involved in, some prize cash leagues, a bunch of other stuff, and some other things that I can't tell you about just yet that Patreons will get and you might have to not get it otherwise. Anyway, I'm saying too much already. Look, all the links for that at coachespanel.tv. Tomorrow, we hit number 31 of the 50 most relevant. Who is he? I'll tell you tomorrow.